calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. And I don't mean like sitting up poly agreements like in front of our family being like, okay, as long as you like call me first, it's fine. Um, like we were not standing at our wedding ceremony Do and saying, Do you, Nicole, no. promise to call your husband and give him a heads up when you meet a hot Australian? Exactly. No that, tongue kissing. Yeah, exactly. I'm ducking out, you're ducking out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all Welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that is 10,000 crunches short of having Elliot Page's abs. I'm Carolyn Bergier. I'm Melody Kamali, and today we're diking out with actor and podcaster Nicole Payson's about relationship escalators. Some quick announcements. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, for any of you who had trouble getting our episode on lesbian tastemakers with Diana Suhami. There was a glitch with Apple. They redid their system and some people who listened to podcasts through Apple Podcasts didn't get the episode, but it is available on all other platforms. I'm not sure if they fixed it yet, but go there if you missed an episode. Rate us five stars, please. So we've mentioned that we're going to be hosting a show for the Lesbian Bar Project again. This one is going to be the premiere of their documentary that they made, and we got a sneak peek at it. It's great. It's about the dyke bars and the dyke bars disappearing. Leah Delaria is involved, and they're going to be screening it in New York. So there is an event Melody and I are hosting, and they're going to stream it either on Jägermeister's website or on the Lesbian Bar Project's Instagram. Look at our Instagram. We'll tell you where you can watch this. We're going to be moderating a panel as well. So check that out. It's really exciting stuff. We love our friends over at the Lesbian Bar Project, and they're doing such great and important work. And you learn so much in this documentary, and they really do a great job of putting the spotlight on the people that work so hard to keep uh, this part of our culture going. Speaking of gay culture, our friends over at the Les Hangout 
podcast. I don't know how they did it, but they have another podcast that is coming out. It's a musical. They wrote a musical podcast. Yeah. So for anybody who has been craving a queer musical podcast, The Flame is coming out. And check that out and support them. They have worked so hard on it. I can't wait to listen. I love musicals and it should be fun. They got some Broadway performers to star in it. And yeah, just want to give them a a plug and a shout out and support that because I know it's been a, a ton of work for them. Uh, We just recorded our Patreon off-topic episode of the week. Every week we are putting out an episode. Can you believe it? After years (laughs) of having a hodgepodge of things on Patreon, now we're having a bunch of conversations, including what Melody did in Chicago. What Carolyn did upstate. What shows we're watching, like Hacks, and why maybe I don't like it. And why maybe I do. And how I almost ruined a gay wedding? I don't know. I don't know. You'll have to listen. Just a little catch up. judge. Yeah. But you know what we didn't get to catch up on, Carolyn? What? What is the gayest thing you did this last week? We didn't touch on that. Oh, man. Probably because I feel like I have a disappointing week of gayness to report. The week kind of flew by. We were treating our countertops, which I feel like I've said this nine times before on the podcast, Mm -hmm. but this time we actually did it. And we had to be out of the house a lot because the fumes were killing our brain cells and also uh, can harm your fertility chances. So so we were hanging out in New Jersey and we went to an arboretum. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's like a botanical garden park of sorts, but it's all trees. And we spent uh, a large chunk of the day walking around and... Cecilia and I climbed a tree together. There was a great tree for climbing. so gay. Nobody was there. There was a wedding that was going on, but it was a very small, small wedding. And not that many people were in this park. And this tree that you would think normally would have kids climbing all over it. Instead, you had these adult dykes climbing up the tree and taking pictures of each other. Because it's been a while since we've had a little couple's photo shoot and taking pictures of each other and hanging out in trees. So (laughs) is that a stretch? Is that gay? No, that's so gay. I think it's gay. I've actually seen a shirt once. Where? Tell me more about these (laughs) shirts, Melody Kamali. Not any kind of shirt, okay? Okay. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Get this. Short sleeves. Ringer. All white. Okay? Black lettering. You've never seen this black lettering, though. It said... Be gay, climb trees. Oh. I'm not kidding. I don't know if it was at a thrift store or what. It was. I don't even remember if it was Chicago or Brooklyn, but I that like stuck in my head. I think it said "Be gay, climb trees." Is that a thing? You know, it's probably a bumper sticker or something. I don't know. Tree climbing should be something for the queer community alone. We've earned it. Mm-hmm. And oh well, Cecilia is out gaying me every single week, and. She talked to people. We had to get some work done in our yard and some drainage stuff put in. And she talked the people into building her a swing, a tree swing. That's... And she's just been all week 
on the tree swing and she's like, I'm going to be out on the tree swing. Do you want to swing with me? I'm like, no, I got stuff to do. And she's enjoying her tree swing and it feels very gay. But that that's is, the gayest thing she did. That's gay in the lighthearted and carefree definition. Yes. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Love it. Yeah. How about you? You were in Chicago and I saw, I peeped your Instagram. I was being nosy. I was having FOMO. Mm -hmm. I was jealous, Melody. I was downright jealous of the fun time you were having in Chicago. I think I know what your gayest thing was, but why don't you tell everyone else? I'm going to have to go with something you didn't actually see, Carolyn, because it was a covert gay operation. What? I know you're wanting me to say drag brunch, and don't get me wrong, that was the gayest thing I've done all year. That was the best day of 2021, hands down. Drag me to the river, this drag brunch show, Sundays in Chicago at the river, kitchen and bar, I believe it's called, in Lakeview. Holy shit, it's just, I, I haven't seen a drag show like it. I mean, granted, I haven't been to one in a long time, but people who go there regularly were like, no, it's never this good. I mean, there were death drops from high uh, elevations, um, wow. dancing on the bar, splashing water over bodies, and just... just the best like scream singing music with your friends you couldn't want anything more it was uh gay jubilation okay i do have to say the gayest thing i did this last week however came at the end of the trip the very end of the trip on the plane back from chicago Allie and i were on two window seats i was in the window seat right behind her now, on the way there, we realized if we ask people to switch seats with us, they will respect the request when you use the word wife, right? And that right. worked great on the way there. Allie's kind of getting a hang of it. Uh, when she says it, it sounds more like, excuse me, sir, do you mind changing seats with me so I can sit next to my wife? <laughs> like It's like... <laughs> You know, um, but on the way back, she finessed it a little better. She asked this very nice woman if she could switch with her. And this one was like, oh, yeah, you're like giving me a window seat. Perfect. And I'm so glad she switched because we found ourselves in the same row as a lesbian couple. Now, I can Whoa. only describe what happened for the next hour and 50 minutes as competitive cuddling. <laughs> Competitive signaling or whatever that was, it was weird. Like, Allie noticed they were gay because um, they had an iPad that was resting on each of their knees and they were like cuddled in close and they just, they looked gay. They were like lacrosse lesbians, you know, they were like the kind of lesbians right. I grew up with. So I, I, I clocked them right away. Were they watching Ammonite on the iPad? Was there? <laughs> it was a drama. Um, okay. which felt gay, you know, yeah. like, um, it was, it seemed very serious. Um, so for about an hour and 50 minutes when I wasn't competitively cuddling with my girlfriend and like sticking my hand in her crotch so they could see, I did have another hand shoved in my pocket, just like gripping our business cards, but I never did get the confidence up to uh... do it. Um, <laughs> but like it was, um, one of those planes where it's two rows of two. Like, yeah. we could all see what was going on and no one acknowledged it. And then at a certain point, it got too late. But then we couldn't stop. And it was just gay flexing for the entire flight. And at the end of the flight, one of them made it off the plane before the other. And we were kind of sandwiched in between them. So one of them had to wait. 
And I was like, now's our chance. I still have my hands on these fucking cards. <laughs> Just give it to her. <laughs> we walked off. I paused right in front of one of them. We made eye contact. And then I like stuck my head down and sped walked away. Classic. Even that part's gay. I mean, the competitive coupling and signaling is definitely a Cecilia thing that as soon as she sees another couple, she wants to signal immediately. And I can't help but think that straight people are missing out on this. You don't think they're ever like, hey, Barb, we got to let them know. (laughs) We're also heterosexuals. Ted, I think they might be straight. Because we were whispering and they were mm, two feet from us. Um, I know it's kind of louder on planes, but like they I, they had to have known. Allie was being very, Allie, as we know, is the Cecilia in the relationship. There's so many parallels. And yeah, Allie was the first to right. notice. And when she saw that they, out of necessity, had to be that close to balance this iPad and watch this show. I think she saw it as them like throwing the first punch in our competitive cuddling match. And I was like, no, they just need, they need to cuddle up close to watch this. Allie shoved her hand into my crotch. It's like such a big motion to get their attention. And then we started at an eight, you know, and only went up from there. But at a certain point, you know, the signaling has worked. Then what? It's like, it just felt ridiculous right. at a certain point. Yeah, for that, see, when when you're kind of in a captive audience situation, like passing by, sometimes I'll say something like, uh, Rosie O'Donnell, and like just as I'm walking by, <laughs> just something to get it out there, uh, just to acknowledge it. Just but like, uh, it, Ricky it, Lake, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oprah and Gail, Oprah and look at us, a couple of Oprahs and Gales over here. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of hotels, we, of course, got the classic. It's one bedroom or it was a one bed suite. Right. A very concerned look from a man at the front desk. And so you'll be needing the sheets for the pullout, right? Why add a right? Question mark. Like, come on. So crazy. Yeah. People just still. And we were with Barb. Barb was checking us in more on that on the Patreon episode. Uh, Bradley's mom. But I couldn't fully, like, give the attitude I normally do. Or I mean, I, I mean, people are all just trying their best. And I actually don't have to give anyone that much attitude. But. No, we'll need two pairs of sheets because I'm a squirter. Because <laughs> my girlfriend makes me squirt, okay? <laughs> Can't take her anywhere, especially hotels. Know what I mean? Sheets, please. <laughs> Do you have plastic sheets, sir? <laughs> yeah. Oh, does the sofa, uh, is it lined with some plastic? Maybe we'll opt for that, the two of us then. Great. More on squirting in next week's episode, Mm -hmm. but hey, let's get to this week's episode. So excited about a friend of the pod. Today we are diking out with actor, singer, podcaster, and LGBTQ activist Nicole Payson about the relationship escalator. 
Many of you are familiar with Nicole from her podcast, Coming Out with Lauren and Nicole, that she co-hosts with past guest Lauren Flans, or from her role as Aster in the very popular web series, Everyone But Me, or the various other roles that she's had on film and TV. So let's get into it. Woo! Thank you so much for diking out with us today. Finally, we did it. We made it happen. We made it happen. Thank you for asking me. I'm so excited. <laughs> when you emailed, I was like, yes, finally. <laughs> yes. No, we've been wanting to have you on for a while now. And we met very briefly uh, a few years back now at Clexicon. Yep. I think you were... Sitting in, this was right before you started your podcast, and you were sitting in on a podcasting panel that I was on with the uh, Les Hangout folks, and then you started your podcast, and then I was a guest on the podcast, and I had the most fun doing your podcast. We loved having I, you, it, honestly. I didn't want it to end. I was like, this is like the most refreshing <laughs> podcast experience. It was just so much fun talking to you two, and Thanks. yeah. Yeah, we try to keep things very positive. Like, for those of you out there who don't know, um, hi, I'm Nicole Payson. I co-host <laughs> um, Coming Out with Lauren and Nicole, a.k.a. Coming Out Pod, um, and we have queer people people on telling their coming out stories and then also, um, especially as of late, speaking uh, on different issues that are relevant to the community at any given moment. We've gotten in, you know, we've waded more into the controversial waters um, since, like, it feels like there's a new controversy every day in our community. Yes. Um, And you do such a good job at that. I love those episodes of your podcast and I'll I usually follow up with Lauren because I feel like we're always like on Twitter at the same time so I'll send her a DM uh, and I'm like wow I wish I could talk about this topic as eloquently as you too, but you do such a great job of tackling these complicated issues that have a lot of sensitivities, I guess. Sensitivity and nuance. Thank you. Around. Thank you so much yeah. for saying that. Yeah. Um, and it makes sense that you would talk to Lauren versus me as I am never on Twitter and basically don't know how to use it. <laughs> so there we go. Um, but no, I, thank you for saying that. I mean, I think I am a person who stands in the in, in the middle of a lot of issues. I feel like, I don't know, being bisexual and polyamorous and uh, a, a lot of other, like, things put me in the middle and make me see things in a way that uh, feels feels pretty nuanced. And I, so I try very, very hard to be able to speak uh, in a nuanced way about issues that um, people on the internet would like to look at in very black and white terms. Um, And I I think it's important, especially right now with like the unbelievable amount of division, um, certainly within our country, um, but even within our community, you know, within our community, yeah, yeah. like it's, it just can get so nasty and divisive. And I think that the internet loves to make, uh, things simple that are, are much, are much more complicated and, um, likes to paint people with broad strokes and that's just not how people are usually. So, um, so it's actually kind of a joy for me to, to talk about, uh, difficult topics that way, because it, it helps me to see things beyond my knee-jerk reaction to something. So, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. right. Spoken like a real yeah. person who doesn't use Twitter. I love it. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And like I like in the couple times I've ever gone down like a Twitter rabbit hole, I just start feeling myself getting angrier and angrier mm-hmm. and like I'll tweet like and the couple times I've ever tweeted something that's like a little bit like whatever, I regret it yeah. immediately. I'm like, "Oh, why did I right. do that?" Like, you know, anyway. I know. I I try so hard to not be mean on Twitter. Today I caught myself almost t- telling some homophobic guy to drive off a cliff. Um, <laughs> and like, I get it. You know, like, like the feeling is well, there. I get that. His thing was talking about how the gay agenda, the unnatural gay agenda. And in his profile pic, he has glasses. I'm like, why are you wearing those unnatural oh, glasses? Obviously, God wanted you to... Um, have blurry vision and see the world. And I was going to say, obviously God wants you to uh, have blurry vision and drive off a cliff. (laughs) But I stopped there and I'm like, no, be more positive. Just be snarky. Don't be mean. That is very, that's very good. The number of times that I really have like done one of those where like, I'm like, don't, don't take the extra step here in the way. I know. Because the thing is, because of course then like, the point is lost. Then it just be because that that's exactly. where it comes down. Is like it's like I don't know. It, for huh, as difficult as this is, and as cliche as it sounds, like I I hear Michelle Obama in my head a lot, being like, "Take go high, go high." <laughs> yeah. Like, and and I'm like, you know, if any family ever had to take the high road, it's them. Like, constantly. (laughs) And, like, if they can do it, then, like, I can hold myself to that standard. You know, that's the, I just hear, yeah, my conscience is Michelle Obama. There you go. That's That's a good one. (laughs) My tweet conscience is J-Lo instead. (laughs) Going, let's get loud. Like, I can be very mean on Twitter, and that's why I avoid it. Oh, my God. For our listeners who aren't familiar with you, tell us a little bit more about your background. You're uh, an actor. You have a queer following. Tell us how that came out. Thank you. So I am, I'm an actor, writer, host, and educator, so says my resume. Um, I (laughs) (laughs) gained a following initially uh, because of um, uh, an early web series, I guess, yeah, like literally at the advent of the web series. Um, Um, There was actually, when I graduated college, um, it was really cool because all the television writers decided to go on strike, like, immediately when I started auditioning. I was like, sweet. Um, So, like, every, (laughs) and and we went into a recession. I was like, no jobs. Awesome. Right. Um, uh, But what came out of that was a bunch of television writers started writing for the web, which at that time was, like, the Wild West. Just nobody did that. They're like, a web series? What is, I remember literally having to explain what a web series was to people. But I, I auditioned for anyone but me um, and it was written by created and written by um, one of the writers of the L Word and so like I saw L Word in the breakdown and I was like me 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 please please pick me please pick me um, and uh, and it just ended up taking off in a way that like we really we just caught lightning in a bottle it was the right the right place at the right time um, and it, it's a, a coming of age story of two teenage girls who fall in love and I was one of those two girls and it ended up lasting three seasons plus like a bonus season plus a bunch of the other stuff and it's on Hulu now uh, if you guys want to check it out but that is uh, that's where I got my start and then that catapulted me into like the queer media world so um, I I came out publicly I had come out um, like in my own life years before I was on that show um, but I came out 
publicly as a result of that show. And then that just opened up doors to like acting in other queer projects, um, uh, writing for some queer publications, like doing panels, going to cons, like all of it um, over the past uh, decade plus. And um I so I'm I'm a professional queer. That's what I say. That's what I am. Sounds yeah. like it. That web series has such hardcore fans. Uh, a friend of mine, shout out to Erin, was freaking out after I did your podcast, and she's like, "Oh my god, you were like in a room with Nicole Paisley. Like you were, oh my god, I I I don't." I wouldn't be able to. I, uh, <laughs> That's so amazing. And she she was just like gushing about the web series. Hi, and she's like, yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Thank you. I, I you know, yeah. it, it really, it was so special because there was almost nothing like it. The reason they, they chose me to audition was because I wrote an impassioned letter being like, I wish I had this growing up. Like, this would have made yeah. such a huge difference for me. And because th- there just wasn't anything with the ex- exception of South of Nowhere to that point. Um, and so... Which I was watching. Yeah, yeah. So we just, like... And the L word also, the first iteration, had just ended. So there was, like, this gap um, in content. And we just, like, slid right on in there and got very yeah. lucky. It changed my life. It really, like, charted a course for my adult life and career in a way that I'm extremely grateful for. Yeah. It was awesome. That's great. Well, as a professional queer, <laughs> we have to wonder... What is the gayest thing you did this week? Oh, wow. I mean, I always do so many gay things and it's hard to it's hard to know. Was it hosting my gay podcast yesterday or was it um uh sneaking sneaking like a, a sexy moment with my girlfriend while we were like we like positioned my child in his rocker in a way where he wasn't like looking directly at oh us. Oh my god. I was like we have 15 minutes like let's make this happen. Like <laughs> <laughs> that that probably was it, but it also might have been taking my girlfriend out for her birthday uh, last night and being like an out queer couple for the first time at a restaurant in over a year. That yeah. felt yes. very very special, to be honest. That was that was fantastic. I was like, holy shit, it's been so long. So that was cool. Gay amazing. That must have felt so nice. Yeah, it too. felt. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was just and happy yeah. birthday to her. Yes, happy yeah. birthday, man. Happy birthday. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Well, speaking of girlfriend and relationships and a baby and all that, we're going to be talking about relationship escalators today. And I'm so excited about this topic, even though when I was writing up the doc for this, I kept writing elevator. Me too. I I say it all the time. (laughs) If if I exchange escalator for elevator in this conversation, which is almost inevitable, like, please forgive me. I mean escalator. Yeah, because then you'd be talking about my relationship. That's I I did a relationship elevator. Do the elevators. Right to the top. Like just everyone else (laughs) is on that escalator for sure. So for people who aren't familiar with the term, what is the relationship escalator? So the relationship escalator is basically like um, the 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 timeline that society puts you on and like the tick marks of um, uh, the progression of a relationship of like a traditional relationship, right? So like dating, then we're official, then we're, you know, we move in, get married, have kids. Like the, there are all these stops on your 
way to the top of the escalator, which is apparently, you know, the end of your life and dying like notebook style next to your partner, yeah. I guess. <laughs> um, so that's, uh, that's sort of, that's the idea of it. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just so interested in this topic because A, it's it's very relevant to, to certain uh, questions that like – I'm having in my own life and um I'm and I'm constantly questioning anyway how much of my assumptions about relationships and what I want and how I see the future are based on what I actually want or what I've been told to want or told to expect. And this right. is really a huge this this framework is just it's it's as though we are predestined to go along with this and anything outside of that feels like we have we just have no idea how to handle that. It's the where is this going question. And it, if, like, there isn't an answer to that, it's a failed relationship, apparently. And and I and right. I, I just am interested in really dissecting that and, and questioning whether that's a fact or that's an assumption that we make. So... Yeah, I I do think that over time, I guess, I mean, we're all kind of raised with this idea of a relationship escalator, unless you were born into uh, a family that maybe your parents didn't follow that as much. But if if they did, then it's like this very ingrained thing Mm -hmm. that's reinforced by media, by like TV shows, Mm -hmm. movies. It's reinforced by the government, uh, you (laughs) know, sure is. Right. Like tax benefits and oh, yeah. all of that are like tied to these milestones. Yeah. Uh, and you're literally incentivized yeah, the, to follow this path. Yeah. To marry as I was kids. doing my taxes at the last possible minute last night before the deadline, yeah. I was like, should we just get married? <laughs> yeah. No, for real. I mean, the fact that like we have a child now and get a tax credit, I was like, this is fantastic. Fantastic. Like we like I, I mean, but I, I, and it wasn't something that I had thought of. But when we got married, I my husband and I see I'm confusing all of you out there who just heard about my girlfriend. But when my, yes. when my husband and I got married, like I, that was one of the first things I thought of. I was like, ooh, taxes like that. Right. That, and, right. Like, and like he's an EU citizen. And I was like, ooh, EU citizenship. You know, ooh, like, like, again, yeah, these, right. like shiny <laughs> objects of, of marriage, you know, <laughs> of the relationship escalator. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. I had friends who uh, they had a baby that was like due around New Year's. And I was like, "Ooh, if it's New Year's Eve, you can deduct it off last year's taxes. (laughs) Yeah, it, it, your asset. (laughs) You're exactly, exactly. (laughs) Melody, you were an asset baby. (laughs) You were born. Or so I screwed my parents over by waiting eight hours into the new year to be born. (laughs) They're like, damn it. This is not starting well. No, that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) That wasn't really hammered in at home, having like immigrant parents and just like Mm. I was in the middle of two cultures and didn't have anyone to follow. But it was really it was media for me. I really learned all of this. Like when you said notebook, boom, like um, rom-coms, romance movies. Oh, rom-coms for sure. I mean, every sitcom, you know, all the family-based ones, even ones that are a little bit more like, is it step by step? Oh, where yeah. Where that was like the modern Brady Bunch because they type were thing. They're divorced they're, and they, yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my God. And even then, though, it's always presented as other. Oh, yeah. 
So even if there is representation of, you know, getting pregnant before you get married, it's like a conflict point or it's a, oh, no, this this is the the thing about this character is they got pregnant before they got the married. The Achilles heel. You know? Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, it is the, the thing to overcome, you mm-hmm. know, versus right. just a different experience. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. As I got older, sometimes you just don't really think to think outside the box about this stuff Mm -hmm. until I think you get more experience in life and you meet more people and you see more examples of relationships. But I I remember there there were always like a couple of moments for me that stood out. One was reading Amy Poehler's (laughs) autobiography where she talks about her divorce and there's some quote in it about how she doesn't view her marriage as a failure just because she got divorced. And to me, that was just like this really radical way of thinking. She's like, hey, I got two kids out of it. Most of the marriage was great and then it didn't work out. But that sounds like success to me. Like what what else is it, you know? And that success is always defined by, yeah, that that notebook uh, the end goal of, of ma- making right. it to, to del- till death do us part. And like, right. it just, I, I don't know. With the notebook thing, like I've referenced the notebook in like what I also find myself wanting. Like I do want yeah. that. And then again, I go, well, do I want that just because like that's what I've been told by all these things? Or do I really want that? Or what is it? And yeah. um, to give a little bit of background on, on me, I... Um, well, first of all, I'm I'm Polly, and I I am married and have a girlfriend, and my girlfriend and I are coming up on on three years together, and my husband and I are coming up on seven. And and you and your girlfriend, I didn't realize that you met on that stage at Clexco when you posted that. What? I went and I watched Wait. the, I found the video of it because I'm like, hold on, this is too cute, and I'm gonna be a creep, <laughs> and I'm gonna find this YouTube video of when Nicole and her girlfriend first connected let's say <laughs> we did no it was, it was it was amazing actually we like we uh, first of all also very like talk, talk about stars aligning like right. she was not even supposed to be on that panel it was an lgbtq actors panel at Clexicon, uh Clexicon 2018 and uh she wasn't supposed to be on it but somebody dropped out last minute and it was like the day before or whatever and she, and and someone asked her and she was like yeah totally and i rocked up to like the little holding area on the side of the stage and i just literally i mean i remember it was like yesterday like i she turned around she was on the other side of this table and she turned around and i was like holy shit this person's hot i was like she's so hot and she introduced herself and she has an australian accent and i was like oh jesus god like what <laughs> what's happening and i was i it was immediate i was immediately like oh oh no and then we we were on this panel together and we sat next to each other and in the like latter half of the panel they opened the the floor up for questions and someone immediately from the audience asked a mental health question in any of our experiences with that and um and i sort of like shakily raised my my hand and spoke about my sister who unfortunately took her own life um uh on april 1st 2015 and it was so interesting because mandala who again i'd met 45 minutes earlier just like grabbed my hand and held my hand while i spoke the entire time because i was shaking and getting emotional and i thought that that was so that was so lovely um and then i actually now i'm getting emotional (laughs) it was really it was really amazing and then i and then she uh you know after i finished she 
asked to to pass the mic, and she, it just so happened she immediately said her brother took his life um, as well, our only siblings. And it was just like, what are the odds of having sat next to each other on that panel again when she wasn't supposed right. to even be on it? When like, and it was just immediate, and like we were basically inseparable for the rest of the weekend as a result of all of that. And like, uh, we did not hook up. She was, she was, I found out later dating somebody else at the time, but that relationship was com- coming to a close um, <laughs> mm-hmm. on its, on its own completely separately. And we were just friends for the next like four months or so. And then we, and you were already married at that and I was, point. I was already married. Too. Yeah. And I had called my, my husband that day. Um, he was actually living in China at the time. Uh, I was working in China and I called him that day to be like, okay, so just met this girl. And like, I don't know if anything's going to happen happen but like whoa and I was like are you cool if you know something happens and he was like does the Pope wear a funny hat and I was like all right great yay <laughs> um and yeah he's it, we, we have a very very cool relationship we basically just have to like you know say hey this is on my radar you cool want to let you know you know um yeah and there's we really don't like veto each other that way. It would have to be a really extenuating circumstance. It's just, um, but we are not a don't ask, don't tell situation. There's a lot. There's okay. transparency with us. It's the the way that we've wanted it from the very beginning. And yeah, we just don't. It's it's it, it's great. It's very transparent. And so um, so he knew from square one that I liked her. And so finally. When, like, she came over for the first time, we weren't just, like, having coffee or a drink somewhere or whatever, and she came over to the house, and I was like, I think it's going to happen tonight. I, like, like, I said to my husband, and he's like, cool, okay. So he'd been, like, prepped for months leading up to my girlfriend and I getting together, so. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Wow. So I love that. that. Yeah. yeah, because you mentioned, you know, the, the don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. There are so many different models for Poly. polyamory, yeah. and that's great that, you and your husband are on the same page as it because it seems like a lot of people say, you know, polyamory doesn't work, but it's also like regular relationships don't work. Uh, and then all <laughs> that's ex- exactly what, 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 what does work? I don't know that they're not those relationships don't work compared to however many failed monogamous non-poly. Re- yeah. Monogamous relationships. Right. Uh, there are, and it's, you know, whatever it comes down to, whether you're poly or monogamous, it's that you and your partner are on the same page about it and can communicate. And have and that's, a common vocabulary. Yeah. Like I would I would recommend yeah. and have recommended to like anybody out there who's looking at exploring poly or even just like interested in kind of what it's about, even if you don't want to explore it for yourself. Like pick up uh, the books, The Ethical Slut, More Than Two. Um, uh, let's see. There's there are, there are some others that are eluding me at the moment, but um, the ethical slut is like the bible of polyamory, basically. But I, I I would say that was fundamental for us when it like we first started exploring all of this because I went into my relationship with my husband knowing I was poly already. Like that had been an exploration for me for two years leading up to getting together with him. Um, so then finally, when like he and I decided, okay, it's time to like actually have a conversation about how this will work. Uh, it was about six months into the relationship and we decided to read The Ethical Slut together so that we would have a common vocabulary um, and discuss potential things that would come up and the agreements that we had. So um, I, I highly recommend that. But like going back to something, though, that you you, you said about, um, you know, well, poly relationships don't work out and like 
a lot of monogamous relationships don't work out either. Like the, the right. other part of my background here uh, is that my parents got separated and then sub- subsequently divorced when I was 11 and they got back together 15 years later and they were, and they, they are not married. They are, they had no desire to get remarried, but they have been living together for the past decade. Really always had like a very unique divorce situation anyway, in that they were friends and um, we even did some family vacations still together and stuff and they would just sleep in like separate rooms or whatever. And so my friends would always be like, are your parents going to get back together? or whatever and I was like no 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 they don't want to do that they were dating other people it was like whatever and then they they finally did at a time in their life where like their companionship meant more than whatever they maybe had been seeking otherwise and they and they'd also been through a lot with my sister and and I know that that was a big bonding point for them that only really they can relate to together too and I, I and it their situation and some of the people they chose to date and things like at first, as, a, as like an angsty teenager, I, I I got kind of like fucked up over it where I was like, I don't know what to believe about relationships, you know, like <laughs> I got like mad at times. I was going to ask, yeah. when did it start you questioning? In, in high school, really, like yeah. I was like, what even is, you know, like what what am I supposed to believe about how relationships are supposed to really function? And like, is it a failure if I get divorced? Because it feels like, and it's like, I never want to get divorced. I don't ever want to do that. You know, it was, it was sort of a, a pushback against that, but also a recognition that, wait a second, I don't want to get married unless I really think this, this is going to go the distance, which was another, another thing for me. But in terms of poly stuff, it, I call it my second coming out, and it um, there was a lot of stuff that led up to it um, where it, that was really conflated with my bisexuality in a way that um, actually delayed my coming out as poly because I was trying desperately to be like the non stereotypical bisexual. Um, so right. like Aren't the, we all? Yeah. yeah the idea exactly <laughs> where you're like I will not fall into this stereotype of being promiscuous <laughs> yeah. or wanting to be with more than one person at the same time or like right, I mean, right, yeah. like I was boxing myself in so much even though like you know and then I would and then I'd fuck up right in a relationship like I would I like I I cheated on my girlfriend in college who I was like desperately in love with and it was one of those that was an aha moment for me because I had to really because it was not what everybody said. It wasn't what like where people like if you cheat, then you can't you're not really in love with the person. And I was like, yeah, but I am. So like, what does this mean? You know, and and it it certainly means that I need to have more integrity around relationships. Definitely. But beyond that, like when I get past just admonishing myself for having broken the agreement that we had in that relationship, the clouds sort of parted. And I was like, Oh shit. I wouldn't have done this with another girl. And I was like, "Oh no, like that's a terrible <laughs> thing to realize." And I was like, "I have to fucking say that to her and it's just going to like it like she's going to 
hate she's a lesbian too so i was like this is just the worst mm. is I, she's probably gonna end the relationship just based on that because now i'm the bisexual that she can't trust and all this stuff and somehow like we did actually manage to work through it which is another lesson and one that i've learned over and over again with polly which is actually just be honest even when you're most scared to do it because uh, people are much more responsive to trying to make things work if they know that you're being honest with them um, about yeah. what it is that you want and what it yeah. is that you're feeling. And so, like, that was a moment for me, but I still didn't have poly language. At that point, I was like, I'll just watch some straight porn, which I hate anyway. But I was like, <laughs> I, was like <laughs> I was like, when I feel an urge, I'll just watch straight porn and that'll take care of it. Like, it's okay, it's fine. And <laughs> now you know I'm doing that. So it's like, it's fine. And like, it, that reminds me of, of an old listener question of um, a woman who who's married to a man and her therapist was like, well, just watch lesbian porn to because oh, she was yeah. feeling like, yeah, like that, uh, you know, that she wasn't able to like express her queerness and her therapist like, just watch lesbian porn. And she's like, what? You're like, that's not <laughs> that's, what? Like what? I, I, I That to me is just it's mind boggling that a therapist would say something like yeah. that. Yeah. And and look, and like I, I've said it a million times on my own podcast, and I'll say it again here, like not all bisexuals are polyamorous. Not all bisexuals are polyamorous. They are, it is, yeah. they, people get, conflate those two things. They complement each other, I'm not going to lie, but they're, but they're not the same thing. And I know bisexual people sure. who are very happy in monogamous relationships and would be desperately unhappy in poly ones. So like I, it it is a separate thing, but I, I know for me, I am both those things. Um, yeah, yeah. And I didn't have the language and it wasn't until uh, like my late 20s, of course, when I was part of a theater company because theater kids are crazy. Oh, um, I know. <laughs> I'm dating a theater kid. It isn't, right? <laughs> I mean, we do have the best parties, I'm not going to lie. But like, yeah. um, but it's, it's, it's a very like... Uh, is usually a very like sexually free and experimental sort of um, mm-hmm. community yeah. of people, and uh, someone brought up Polly and the ethical slut, and I was like, I'm sorry, what now? Like, what? If, what do you? What? And um, it was completely mind blowing. I was like, this, and at that point, I was single and I was dating around, and I was at any given time dating two to three people. Usually, um, within two years, I usually was dating two to three people at, at the same time, and like everybody knew about each other. It wasn't, it was fine because there wasn't any like um, any ex- exclusivity, quote unquote. But it was then that I was like, oh, now this makes sense. <laughs> like now I know why I have very significant feelings for this person and this person, and neither of them are canceling each other out. Like I'm always told they're supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. And then that was and then again uh, later I met my my husband and that was when I started like being like all right how does this work in like real life? <laughs> in like a relationship. How does this work? So, yeah. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. 
and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. When you mentioned that you had, um, when you cheated on that girlfriend and you're like, Mm. oh no, I broke that agreement. Yeah. I just realized, I mean, how many people are actually having a formal agreement who are doing the stereo or the traditional relationship escalator? I wonder like how moving forward as like things get more queer and polyamorous and there's more information about it. Like are people who are monogamous going to be like, okay, let's talk about how we are going to be monogamous in the same way that polyamory or polyamorous people have those conversations because I'm thinking back on relationships that have been monogamous and there never really was a formal agreement. It was just like, you're my girlfriend. Like I'm your girlfriend, you know, and that's it. And yeah. it's a lot yeah. of mystery there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's usually it's ambiguous. Just asking, yeah, it's asking to be exclusive, but then, like, what does that mean? It makes me think of that conversation in the last season of the original L Word when they were talking about, like, what cheating was, and they're like, oh, thinking is cheating. Oh, yeah. Like, I fucking Eli, hate you know? that. Like, like <laughs> that shit is so right. poisonous. Like, the idea right. that, like, being, a, literally being a human is cheating. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. like having human thoughts and impulses is cheating. Like, even if you never act on them, you're like, what? Yeah. Right. Bet uh, Porter is uh, a uh, villain! Like, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Oh my god, I know. But but it was like, wow, like I didn't even think that it didn't even occur to me that people have different definitions as to what cheating is. I'm like, is that why my ex-girlfriend cheated all the time? Did she just not think that, you know, kissing was cheating? And I definitely thought kissing was cheating. Well, that's so interesting <laughs> that you bring that up because that has been an actual conversation in my poly relationship. It's like my husband and girlfriend just tend to take kissing more seriously than I do and it's um and like we have established that like one must uh, again give the heads up before one mm. does anything kissing included and I agree with that because it's important to them you know like because I know that that it matters to them and they need that and it's really not a big concession for me to make so I do that that said like my, for my core I don't know, like pre-COVID, I would like I I, to me going out and like dancing and then like make out with someone on the dance floor like that to me does not equate to something that feels like it needs to be reported um, or certainly yeah. would fall into cheating. But I, I recognize that's not the case with everybody, and I, I respect mm-hmm. that. And then that's what that comes down to, right? It's like agree when it comes to agreements, right? It's, it's going over like what are. Where are you at in terms of your assumptions about what is cheating? Where, right. When would you feel betrayed? What are things that, that you need, that you need from me um, and, and that I can freely agree to? And where is that line for me where I say, okay, that isn't practically going to work for, for me. So where can we find a, a middle ground? And then also, when do we come back to the drawing board in a year and say, do we still adhere, are these agreements still working or are we finding that we need to amend some of them because some of them work better than others, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So that's like, that's a big, I mean, I literally did this, that was essentially the process with um, my marriage vows too, because people have asked me, speaking of the relationship escalator, right? So this is, this is part of it, right? So um, I've gotten asked a lot of times and recently on my podcast, um, 
if poly, why, why marriage? Why, why would I get married? And that makes total sense to me. And I think like marriage, the, the actual commitment, first of all, means very different things to, to a lot of different people um, and can literally just mean a legal agreement um, in a lot of ways that are, that's beneficial for health insurance. I mean, truly, like I know people that are right. married for that reason who are in relationships but got married really only for the health insurance and otherwise would have right, not same. done it. So like, like, you know, it's everything from that to like, uh, I'm desperately in love with you and I want the cookie cutter everything until death do us part. Like it is all of those things. And um, for some people it's spiritual and some people it's not. It's, 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 I think we need to like walk back the idea that there is one type of marriage too. Um, and sure. marriage means one thing. And uh, with my husband and I, first of all, we got married by a pastor who is like a dear friend of ours and actually also um, was close with my sister and performed her memorial service. So like he really is very close with our family and knows a lot of what we've we've been through. And, um, and he's gay too. Um, and uh, so he knew going into marrying us that we were poly. Um, you know, and it's not like he had any like moral objections to that. So it was, that was great. And then for, for me, we actually followed kind of this, this book that we found that was actually a monogamous model, um, uh, that was being put forth, but we thought was really great about creating vows based on a series of conversations that we had about what we genuinely felt that we could promise one another, and out, and we took notes throughout, and like, and then our vows were based on very specific things that we agreed to. And I don't mean like sitting up poly agreements like in front of our family, being like, okay, as long as you like call me first, it's fine. Um, like we were not standing at our wedding ceremony. Do and saying, you, Nicole, nah. promise um, to call your husband and give him a heads up when you meet a hot Australian? Exactly. No that, tongue kissing. Yeah, exactly. No, no, getting drinking is not an excuse. You know. Like, no, we, we, uh, no, it was not that it was, it was more uh, general, um, than, than, than that, but took into account, you know, we even said like in our vows, um, and if this doesn't last forever, we promise to always be friends and be loving toward one another and respectful toward one another. That's okay, Nicole. (laughs) That's a good vow. That's that's (laughs) okay. That's what, that's the gay it is. It is really good. I mean, he, he is. He's a great ally. No, that's, that's great. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. a lot of straight nuclear family uh, pa- married people who go on to have children should incorporate that vow. This is <laughs> like, for the like, sake of the children. That should be like a across the board vow. Sure. Yes. yes. Well, and that's the yes. thing. And that's that. And and I I really hats off to my parents for like giving such a wonderful example of that and of the th- that being a possibility where like they of course yeah. had their issues, you know, and they still do. They're it's just they're two people in a relationship. It happens. But like, but like right. they really did such a good job of being friendly and loving. And there was never a question that they loved and respected each other ever. You know, yeah. and to me, I look at it and I'm like that, that again, that's a mark of success. That is success yeah. mm-hmm. is, is even if one, one iteration of your relationship reads or meets its, um, it's like end point, right? Where you're like, this version of our relationship is coming to a close, a necessary close. And we now have to evolve into whatever the next iteration is that's still success it's just evolution and you know i i and i do believe 
I brought up a book before, uh, the uh, More Than Two, and one of the things um, that was so informative about reading that was something you said, uh, Melody, about um, uh, like thinking about any relationship as a set of agreements, right? Right. Yeah. And in the beginning of More Than Two, they talk an enormous amount about consent. And consent in any relationship and how when you enter into it, if you start hiding things, whatever, big or small, like the other person can't consent then. Like you're taking away their ability to consent if you're not saying what you're thinking and feeling and wanting. Like because then they can't consent to the same things that you want or whatever it is. Like, oh, but it, it, they, right. they really like it made me think about consent in a very different way. And I kept thinking like I want all of my monogamous friends to read this too because this is just true of yeah. all relationships. And like I I don't know there is a, there are so many complications with Polly. Like it is not for the faint of heart. I'm not gonna lie. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, the like level of communication and like radical honesty that is required is something that I would recommend for anybody in any type of relationship for any relationship. Yeah. And when you talk about your, your parents being a model for it and I'm thinking of some friends I know who I remember I was visiting a friend in California and went to dinner with her stepdad and the stepdad's ex-wife and like all the stepkids together. And this is like a regular monthly dinner that they have. And like the current wife and the stepwife get along great. And it was such like a beautiful, happy, healthy thing to see. And I think the reason or something that would help us achieve more of that as a society is having these conversations about what to expect about the the relationship and and kind of maybe i don't know is it is it weird to kind of establish like at what point does this relationship end mm-hmm. like at, at what point what what does a bad relationship for you and me look like and what's the point that we need to reevaluate so we can see it. If we talk about it when we're healthy and things are well, then maybe we can recognize it when we're there and, and work on it because I, I feel like a lot of that pain and that bitterness is because people have a really different understanding. I mean, even me as a divorced person, you know, I don't talk to my ex-wife and we don't have kids, so we don't need to. But for anybody who's been listening to this podcast from the start, it, clearly I was very bitter uh, in, in the beginning. <laughs> clearly, I had some unresolved anger around it. And it's because I also wanted the marriage to end. I just thought I couldn't. Yeah. I just thought... I made this promise, and even though I'm not happy in this relationship, I've got to suck it up and stick with it and make the best of it. And like, there's no stops on an escalator, you know? (laughs) There's nowhere to get off. So, yeah, you're you're, you're fucked if you try to jump. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's not a good good thing. No, totally. I've seen people fall on escalators. It's It's very scary. It's not pretty at all. (laughs) Your clothes get stuck in the thing. It's like, it's bad. Um, But, like, yeah, (laughs) I I mean, that's such a a good point. Like, we hold ourselves to this end up with standard. So, like, even that phrase I've thought about so many times. Like, um, do you think you'll end up together? And you're like, 
wow, wow, what does that mean? Well, like that precludes so many things. Like that means that, uh, again, we're going to die at the same time. Like th- like just simply yeah. thinking, like we go into right. these things being like, well, we're definitely going to die in the same moment. So like it's fine. Like 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 we <laughs> because people notebook think I d- style, I'm telling uh, you. Notebook style. Like, they're like I don't want to <laughs> die alone. And you're like, how many old people die with their partner. Many people right. pass away. Like, one partner passes away before the other. Sorry. Like, that's how that happens. Yeah, yeah. So, like, like generally, 50% of, of old people uh, die alone. I don't know. Like, and, and I say alone. There are more people than just your partner, you know? Yeah. Like, you, right, you potentially right. have created a family. Or if not, you have a chosen family. Or you have a, like, there you, there are other people outside of partner that could um, prevent you from, quote, unquote, dying alone. Um, um, so there, there, there is that. Right. It, it reminds me of a of a joke that I used to tell after I got divorced, and I was like, you know, at first I was beating myself up, but then I'm like, it's better than the other option, which is death. <laughs> like that's there's two ways for a marriage to end, and I guess it's good that neither one of us died. So like, yay, <laughs> divorce. <laughs> that's a fantastic way of putting it. Like, I'm sure everyone in our lives are happy that we got divorced sure. and not one of us died. And that's how the, the marriage ended. Yes. So is it so bad? And like, <laughs> I, you know, in having a conversation with my girlfriend about the relationship escalator the other day, because someone, uh, a poly person that I follow, uh, posted about it. And it got me, like, really um, thinking about it again. And it, it's it's relevant to conversations that we're having in our relationship um, just because of literal steps that are happening. Like, just I, I just had a baby um, uh, four months ago. And figuring out what our the three of us and our, our dynamic is with the kid and the massive life shift that is having a child, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, it is. It is one of the one of the things on the elevator or the escalator. There we go. You know, so right, like right. yeah. So so we're we're having conversations around that, and we don't we don't live together at this point. She she still has her own apartment, though she spends a lot of time at our house. Um, and then of course I'm able to go over there much less than I was before because now there's the baby and there's it's right. it's just shifting things. And the question of like okay, well, what does the future look like around all this is pertinent once again, you know? It's like we'll get comfortable right. in a certain groove and then something happens that uh, that begs the question of where is this going? Where is this going? Where is this going? And am I wasting my time? Are we wasting our time? What is the point at which we say, you know, uh, it should or get off the pot? But also what does that mean? Does that mean another marriage ceremony like of some sort that obviously wouldn't be able to be legal but would be spiritual? Or does that um, – or do we not need that? Or um, do you start dating somebody else? And then is this – is our relationship more of a secondary kind of situation or, or are we keeping it more of a co-prime? Like what? Like it's like all these. There's always even in a poly relationship, there is there is still the escalator, and in and it is making all of us question like, is the point of a relationship to make it to the end of the escalator, (laughs) or can the point be intensity of joy? And right. If it's intensity of joy, that is so much more present. Um, And that's not to say that relationships don't have hard times and that you don't want to weather hard times with people. I'm not talking about cutting and running as soon as things get tough. Like, that's not what I mean. But to your point, Carolyn, like, is there a point at which we say, 
this is no longer serving each of us as it was in the beginning. And so maybe we maybe we call it a day and evolve into a friendship or whatever feels right for us, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. When you brought up this topic of the escalator, I'd been thinking about it because and Melody, you're going to like this one. I've been watching Real Housewives yes. of New York. <laughs> And this one woman on the show, Carol, she's a a widow and she never got married. She wasn't married for that long and she didn't remarry or anything after he passed away. And in the seasons I'm watching, she's in her 50s. He's in his late 20s at this point. And she's so casual about it and keeps saying that she doesn't like when he's basically living with her she's like oh we're just shacking up it's not we're living together and she talks about not wanting to have to have these conversations around where is this going because she's like why i'm enjoying it he's enjoying it we're happy we're in this functioning relationship i don't want to ask those questions of where is it going and then her friends are like kind of putting this pressure on her frustrates them yeah, and they're like, "Well, why don't you why don't you want to commit or like there's some maybe there's something wrong with you. Maybe you need to discuss this in therapy." And then the interesting part that is that just got revealed was they they showed her uh hanging out with his parents and it's like the mom wants uh grandchildren and like Carol's, you know, too old to produce I guess they could uh, adopt but um, and he wants to have kids and she's like so I don't really know what this means for us because I know he wants to have kids and I can't get pregnant and I don't see that as being something necessarily for me but I'm like we're both really happy right now so what is that and I was like what that's a great question what is that why isn't there any room for for people to be in a relationship where the escalator isn't isn't a thing. I know one person that I've met who's been in a relationship for 30 years. I don't know if it's an open relationship uh, or not, but uh, they live in separate apartments. They don't have kids and they've been together for, for 30 years, not married. And they're very much in love and they're, you know, there for each other for all the important moments. And when I got divorced, I was like, this is the most beautiful model of a relationship for me. Um, and, and my, my wife, my now wife uh, knows him too. And we were both talking about how much we admired him. We're like, yeah, we're never getting married again. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like what a, what a beautiful model just to like be with somebody because they like bring you joy and not have any expectations and not have to feel like you have to move in with each other. Like maybe that's why their relationship is successful because they don't live together. No, I think that I, first of all, one of my friend's mothers and uh, her stepfather have that exact kind of thing they've been together for years and they live in separate they live in separate cities even um one lives in la and the other one lives in san francisco and they just that's what they do and they they were at a point in their lives when they got together that that's what they wanted and it works and like who's to say that that's in invalid or that that needs to go to a different like 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 it needs to elevate somehow you know like it doesn't right I, i don't know i i think like I am somebody who benefits a lot from having my own space. Like I, I really do. And when I feel like someone is 
two in my space, I start to push back. I put like tell that baby to back (laughs) off. Okay, (laughs) I know. Right, that's the one person I can tell that to, and that's the agreement that I made when I decided to have him. So there we go. But like, um, but like, but like from a relationship standpoint, you know, and like if I if I'm able to miss somebody a little, it helps the relationship. And as long as that model benefits the person that I'm with, it's great. If it doesn't, then that's when there are issues. And like I, Mm -hmm. I, but but. I, I function something like like that, but I think um, stepping back a little and I don't know something you said uh, jogged this for me. I do want to say like. <sighs> I don't want to like shit on the escalator. I'm not. Well, I don't want to shit on the escalator in general. But like, hard I don't... to clean up. Yeah, <laughs> that feels very unfortunate on so many levels. Um, but like, I don't. I don't. You know, for people where that's comfortable. Who, Potentially even me, considering I'm on it to some extent in one of my two relationships. Like, I right. I also completely get the feeling of security uh, that comes with the assumption of the next step. And, and like, that somebody saying to you, yes, my intention is to be with you forever. Like, and th- I... I Regardless of the number of things that can happen, death, divorce, et cetera, that get in the way of that intention and may throw it off, like, I understand the feeling of security there. And on a very practical level, like we're saying, there are legal securities and stuff. And I think, like, we often forget because, again, like, marriage has really evolved – actually enormously certainly this century or this century this century it's not the 20th century uh the last century the 20th mm-hmm. century think about how much a marriage evolved from the beginning of the 20th century to the end and just, just with, women's oh, rights with sure. women's like, rights with women's yeah. rights like yeah. marriage on so many like as an institution was created for the purpose of security like mm-hmm. women got married right. to be taken care of. That was the model. So like what's interesting and why I think that we need to question these institutions for ourselves and decide consciously what we want in agree in, in, in relationships and, and consciously come to agreements are because we are taking a model that was created for economic reasons and applying it to love and romance and assuming that it was created only for love and romance. And it's right. it's not. I mean, it can be, but like we need to recognize what this was from the very beginning and then say, what is it that I really want? You know? <laughs> that just made me think of, uh, I had a conversation with an old coworker of mine who I think was struggling in his marriage and he was a very simple guy from from Buffalo who seemed like he didn't express himself much but felt like he could open up to me <laughs> and he's like sometimes i think about when marriage became a thing people only lived until they were like 25 exactly and yeah, now we're expected to spend 60 years with somebody are you kidding me <laughs> <laughs> right he was feeling like we're really stuck there and and then it's also you know, the institution of marriage and the role of religion and the role of patriarchy and the role of control. So I think for us as queer identifying people, it feels like we're more 
we should be, you would think, more prone to not feel obligated to follow this escalator. Yet, you oh, know, no. when when gay marriage was legalized, you know, I was like, yep, I'm on well, it. Like, and yeah. There's also a scarcity and, mindset, like with right. queer people. It's like you find one and you latch. It's it's harder. To, yeah, I mean statistically, it's very much smaller part of the population. Sure. So, oh, for sure. I understand yeah, yeah. that impulse to cling onto yes. someone. And it's and yeah. it's also and, like it is. Uh, I mean, part of why part of why we were able to sell the straights on gay marriage was because we were like, we're just like you. It's a different gender. That's all. Like, we're adopting right. a heteronormative model so that you don't think we're too weird. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, and and I I think I, I've said many times that I feel like that was a. F- I I understand why that you know movements need to evolve and all these things evolve over time and it's just natural and it makes sense and we much like the straights were also given all of these models in media to follow so like we were for better for lack of a better word brainwashed into into thinking this was the only option too you know but like, yeah I would have never thought to have a kid before getting married no. Um, unless unless marriage was never legalized for gay people. And I don't know if it was, I mean, partly the media, partly my religious upbringing. But even then, Melanie, I think we got an email, a pitch about something, and it was for something queer. And they used the term having a child out of wedlock. Yeah, and I was, was I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, I'm like, who who talks like a child out of wedlock? What is this? The seventies? Like, <laughs> and again, like wed, I, I just, I just, just breaking it down. Cause I'm a word nerd, but like wedlock, wedlock. think about Lock. that too. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing, cause we're talking about like religion and, and all the things that play into this. The other part of this too is, um, you know, marriage and the, and the escalator are very cultural as well and like are looked at Mm. in many cultures as the preservation of that culture i mean you know like with i have indian friends whose parents absolutely want them only to marry indian people and have indian children and it it it, to continue the culture and same with jewish friends you know like yes it's 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 hugely ingrained in like our um tribalism too in a way yeah yeah. Yeah. Even on that show, Indian Matchmaker, obviously that was the whole point, <laughs> marrying off strangers. But there was a girl who was had Guyanese blood and it was she was the hardest to find a match for because you just have to preserve the culture through marriage. Oy. Yeah, because I mean, and it's the way to I mean, it's the way people see doing it. I don't know. It's um, I don't see this changing anytime soon, but I do love I love that we're all starting to like in our uh, the generations coming up actively questioning this stuff. I sit with the question all the time of like, how do I, as the married person in my, I'm what's known as um like in the position of the hinge of the V of the relationship that I'm in. So uh, my husband is like one end of the V, and my girlfriend is the other, and I'm the only meeting point as they are platonic friends. Um and um. I am their only, like, partner that way, romantically and sexually. Um, and so it, it – I am constantly asking myself, as the person who is on this escalator, like, in on the one hand, how do I provide a sense of security to the other partner 
who has not been on this escalator. Obviously, we've had the evolution of our relationship that's followed certain pretty traditional you know, steps and whatever. But like, again, we don't live together. Marriage really isn't an option for us except in a ceremonial context. What what does all this mean? How do I provide a sense of security? And can I provide a sense of security? Or does that have to come from her? I I, I don't, I, Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I was curious about that too, because it, it does seem clearly like one relationship is, is a clear escalator. Yeah. And it's like, it, it causes really, it, it like, you know, without breaking any like, you know, confidentiality or anything with, with my partners, you know, it, it causes a lot of conversations. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely, because I think what so much of it comes down to is who do you give your time and energy to and how is time and energy divided as a resource more than even a commitment of marriage more than even a living together what is the exact amount of time and what is that the quality of that time that means that someone feels equal to another partner you know or feels secure and that's something that is constantly talked about because like frankly I spend my husband and I were just talking about this. I spend more time with my girlfriend than my husband, um, actual alone time. And um, part of that is because she and I have jobs that do- are not nine to five jobs um, or mm-hmm. nine, nine to seven as his job is. You know, so he's tied to his computer five days a week from nine to seven. And like she and I are much more flexible. There are reasons that she and I actually end up spending more time alone together than he and I. But she has her own place and I go to bed next to him almost every night. And so there's a qualitative difference that she feels in that. So then how do you negotiate that? And I don't have an answer for that because I'm currently negotiating it. So, like, <laughs> it really does make you think about how to be extremely intentional with the time that you do spend with partners. Yeah. You know, which again is, I think, important in no matter what relationship is in being relationship, super right. intentional because, like, you can, you know, we, well, God, we all came out of a pandemic where we're like probably with our partners 24 7 and just like watching Netflix, but you're like, I feel like I haven't been on a date with you in a year, you know, like that. Just had that conversation. Oh, for sure. Yes. yes. It's like, that. Two days ago. Yeah. 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 I mean, my wife and I, we moved into a house and, even though now we're like more removed from uh, from the city and our friends and everything, she was feeling neglected because now I have my own office space and I'm just shut in here to do work where before we had to kind of like navigate around each other uh, a, a lot more. And now I'm just like sequestered in a room doing work all the time and like. She had to get a hamster. She's the hinge. She's the hinge in the relationship between the ha- the hamster and I don't interact. Oh, that's fantastic. I'll look oh at her. Oh my god. But yeah, it I mean, I think like if I had to pick a through line for this conversation, it would it would probably be like whether you're going to be on or off the escalator, it's about being intentional about that. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like not taking for granted that you're on or off it or that that is the that's your your destiny or that's just the way it is. You know, yeah. being yeah. intentional with your time and your agreements. Being intentional and also being conscious. Conscious is a word you've used a few times. Mm. And I just think um, a lot of these conversations are kicking off relatively not so long ago, you know, and mm-hmm. um evolving because there is a shift in consciousness like we will only get better there will be even more healthy polyamorous relationships like it's just not it hasn't been talked about or thought about consciously so I love that yeah consciousness conscious and intentional Mm -hmm. seem to be the key words oh my god yeah with this which again are really important for any relationship (laughs) regardless right, like right, i'm not true. and i'm never a person that's going to peddle polyamory um like i really think that that is like anything else in relationships just so individual and and so, something that is going to work for some people and not going to work for others and like that is yeah. all very very okay and like it is also motherfucking exhausting so like you <laughs> you really <laughs> really have to want it that's the other <laughs> The other yeah. part of it. Like, and that's the thing about the about the escalator, too, is that you can coast on some level, you know, like, which is not great because right. it's the opposite of intentional. It causes its problems, but there's so much life throws so much shit at you that you're like, well, if I just get on this escalator, it's at least one thing I don't have to worry about, you know, like, and that I get right. too. That mm-hmm. I really get too. That's actually part of it for me. I've always been this serial monogamous, but part of it, it's like, I feel like I need to have that part of my life settled totally, or else I feel like too many things are spiraling. Like when, when I'm single, my mind goes to places I don't want or need it to go. And I feel like mentally, I just, I'm a lot better of a person when I have that stability in, in my love life. But then going back to the question you brought up earlier, it's like, why do I want these things? Why do I want marriage? Why do I feel like I need to have this settled? Is it because of this escalator being pushed on me? Or do I really want that? Mm -hmm. And it's, it can be difficult sometimes to know what the answer is and maybe you don't have to know what the answer is no it's okay like i maybe if you could just be present maybe oh yeah maybe if we could just be present like full stop you know i mean just yeah, in, right. in like all of life maybe if we could just yeah. it would be present make a it'd make a big diff i yes. think well yeah yeah i mean everybody do mushrooms <laughs> Right. Oh my God. I haven't. That's what every I, conversation I never, lately comes oh down my to. God. Here. I, I haven't. I never have because I'm a, a little bit of a control freak. And so I mm, yeah. um, I fear that I would not fare very well on them or that. But I'm, I'm open to it. The circumstances around it just have to be so fucking perfect. And I have to know someone's babysitting me. And then I'll do it. Another quick thing I, I was thinking about when we were talking about like these these models that you have and where do these pressures come from is Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt's relationship, which I thought was so interesting because they weren't married and they were having these kids and growing the family. And then it was the kids, so they say, that were pressuring them to get married. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? And then they got married, mm-hmm. and then all of And then it just went to shit, and now they have the messiest yeah. divorce ever, apparently. 
Right, yeah. right. And yeah. it's like, you know, they don't know the, the details of their relationship, but it's funny that you think like, oh, well, things are changing in the younger generations and whatever. But it's like, where did these kids get the idea that they were begging their parents to be married? Was it just like the other kids in school? Was it TV? I don't. Have you seen any great representation of people being happily off the escalator in media and having it not be weird yeah in in media or like, like i mean i guess real. there's like either i mean like susan sarandon i guess is one that are kurt russell and goldie hawn married or are they i can't i don't know if they're married but i agree susan, I don't susan think sarandon so. susan sarandon um uh, i i i they recently broke up or like a couple years ago now they, right? they broke up but yeah. after 25 years that's a success, successful relationship oh my god yes right obviously i mean like I, like again my parents currently are I, they still they'll refer to each other as husband and wife it's funny i i, I hear it all the time like when they're talking to like you know uh, like uh, someone at a hotel or whether, you know, making reservations or they're like, whatever it is, because it's just easier. <laughs> like, and right. because that's what they were for a long time, you know, but like they are decidedly not married and they have separate expenses too. They keep their separate, like they both had separate careers and all that's still separate. And so like, I mean, my parents are doing it. Um, I, I mean, I, it's, it's hard. It's, I, I see it more from a younger generation in, like, Europe. Like, this is one of the things that's cool about my my husband. He's um, he's Swedish-born and uh, very, like, culturally Swedish in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, many of his friends are not married and they have kids. And so, like, yeah. that's – and that's very common in Sweden. Um, yeah. I notice it in France too. My cousins uh, who have kids, they're none of them are married, and they have mm-hmm. kids, and they've been with their their partners for a while. Yep. And I also have a, a French family friend, same thing. She's been with her boyfriend forever. Like I can't remember when she wasn't with yep. him, and she has two kids with him, and they're not married. And I'm like, that's so interesting that they're. Do they just not have? It's not, I mean, it's not as puritanical a society and which so much of the differences between yeah. America and Europe, like, really come down to, you know, and we talked about the, the, folk, the, the like, emphasis of religion um, on marriage and right. the ways in which even people who would consider themselves agnostic or atheist um, are, are much more, um, like, have much more uh, religious-based ideas about marriage than they think. <laughs> because mm-hmm. oh, it's so sure. ingrained in our culture that like you, you can't sure. even really parse it out. Um, yeah. uh, so I think that that's a big difference too, because like uh, Sweden for sure is much more of like an agnostic society um, than, than we are. Um, and I think that that's, I think that's true of not all of Europe by any means, but some of Europe to be sure. We got to wrap this up. Any final thoughts on the escalator? I mean, we've, Covered a lot of it. I I do want to say I know I said this earlier, but I'll say it again. I do not want to anybody to think that I'm I'm judging anybody who is who is on the escalator. Oh, for and sure. And also, I don't want to, anybody to 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 think that I'm a hypocrite because I am clearly on it on some level. So like I I wrestle with this stuff all the time, pr- precisely because I find myself wanting like all of these traditional things while also being a very non-traditional person. 
And mm-hmm. so then right. it causes me to be like, holy shit, I'm queer and polyamorous and in this type of very atypical relationship. And still I have these ideas. Where are these ideas coming from and are they what I really want? And so like that's for me, I'm just in a constant state of like of, of, of questioning of this stuff. And it's it's not a casting judgment on any of it. It's, it's really for yeah. sure. Yeah. I, I think the takeaway is mostly we're having this conversation so people are more aware of it because yeah. usually it's something that like when you're on an escalator once you step on you're not really thinking about it until exactly. you get off of it yeah. <laughs> or when you're looking for the next one I don't know yeah. and um, and I think a, a lot of the problems that we have are tied to these these expectations and not really understanding how we feel about them, where they come from, and are we on the same page as the people that we love about them. So thank you so much for coming and sharing so much about your life and being vulnerable. We really appreciate that. And I think people will really enjoy that. How can people follow you online? I mean, they know how to listen. If you're listening to Diking Out, you know how to listen to Nicole's podcast. Okay? <laughs> yes, it's pretty you, easy. You can find Subscribe. the podcast at, at like at Coming Out Pod on on Twitter and Instagram, um, and uh, and it's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all of those things. Um, but listed as Coming Out with Lauren and Nicole. It's confusing, and I wish I could rebrand, but we can't. We've been around for three years. Um, <laughs> so uh, so that's how you find the podcast. I am at Nicole Payson. P-A-C-E-N-T um, on Instagram and kind of Twitter. Um, I'm there sometimes. You're, you're going to find me much more on Instagram. And also, like, I do post poly stuff um, on Instagram uh, with in- in- increasing um, regularity. So uh, you will also see that if you want to, like, poke around and, and find out some stuff. Um, I've done a bunch of po- panels on it, too, some of which are on my Instagram. Others you can just, like, look up. Um, but yeah, I, I talk about this a, a lot cause it's a, a huge part of my life. Um, and otherwise, is there anywhere else you can find me on the internet? Uh, not yet. I used to have a website. I don't do that anymore. It's too much, yeah. too much work. <laughs> We all we all have I, a defunct website up. I feel <laughs> weird asking this question after the year plus that we've had, but do you have any upcoming projects that you want to plug? Ah, you know what? I feel like that's a mean uh, question no, to ask. No, 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 How no, no, any creative person? You. Actually, so okay, so um, yes, there's one that I can't talk about. Um, it, I can't plug it yet because it's about to shoot. Um, uh, but it is. So you're on the next season of the L Word, Jen <laughs> yes. Q. Got it. Got uh, n- uh, no, but I um, was a consultant for them for this season. So that's a fun little fact. Um, yeah, I was doing some behind the scenes. I'm also uh, a writer. So I, yeah, that's something that people don't know about me. But I, yes, I was a consultant Very for the awesome. So yeah, so watch L Word Generation Q. There is one storyline in there specifically on which I consulted quite a bit. So um, that. Definitely watch that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, Next thing I would say is, uh, yeah, I'm about to shoot something uh, not as an actor. I actually uh, co-wrote a a 10-episode digital series that's coming up with the uh, co-creator of Red, um, the series out of Brazil. Um, So this is like a a bilingual, cross-cultural new series that we are coming out with and just shooting this summer. And um, I am the co-writer of it so that's very exciting Amazing. Um, so I will keep awesome. everybody posted on that when it actually comes out oh yeah next month for pride month um 
Uh, this has not been announced yet, but uh, via OML and Reverie, they are uh, featuring me as a uh, Pride Trailblazer, and I have yeah, five. And th- thank you. Um, I have five of my short films that I've been in over the past couple of years being featured for 24 hours streaming. Um, I don't know the day yet. So again, if you follow me, I will release that information. But I'm very excited because some of these have not been released, seen by anybody outside of festivals yet. So um, so if you want to see me act um, in five very different projects, uh, you will be able to on OML and Reverie in uh, June for Pride. That's so cool. Congrats. That's awesome. It was so great catching up with you, Nicole. Thanks so much for diking out with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye, guys. It was so nice to catch up with Nicole. I have so much fun diking out with other podcasters. I've heard about her for so long now since joining this podcast. And you were right. The coolest. Let's get to our listener question. All right. Oh, this one looks juicy. I've recently met someone I believe to be my person. Yesterday, we talked about the strong energy we feel with one another. And she told me she doesn't have the room to explore that now that she's in a quote unquote complicated relationship with her girlfriend. But she doesn't want that to build distance between her and I either. With anyone else, I'd have backed off in a heartbeat, but I don't feel like giving up just yet. I'm afraid of being yet again an afterthought. Any tips on how to establish healthy boundaries and still be willing to give love a chance? That's a fitting question for this episode, Curlin. Yeah, I'm going to say back off. Go away. I know. Shut it down. (laughs) Should have known. We would both have that (laughs) practical advice. Um... Right. I don't know what you are going to set yourself up to be an afterthought or whatever. You can't give this person uh, their cake and let them eat it, too. Mm-hmm. It's I don't like that saying, though. That That's a whole other thing. That, I, I know. And every time I say I'm like, if you have cake, you should be able to eat it. Every we'll time talk, I but. say I think of that iconic scene where they unpack that phrase in the Mary Kate and Ashley straight to video movie holiday in the sun. Well, I have not seen that, but I am on board. OK, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. Th- yeah. This person has a complicated relationship with her girlfriend it doesn't sound that complicated if she has a girlfriend and she's telling you that even though she feels that you have strong energy that she can't uh, explore it so back away nothing makes somebody thirstier for you than not wanting them yeah ignore them go away I'm not into game playing but if you really want this person to make a decision don't hang around and give them the milk for free you tried your cake saying and then you thought you tried out the milk one yeah it's <laughs> really look we did we did a, another guest interview right before this we recorded our patreon up i'm at the end of my rope yeah. i'm pulling phrases from early childhood that my grandma taught me all right mm-hmm. that's where we are with this listener question but am I wrong? You're right. You're right about this. Back off. 
Sometimes we just throw the word complicated at others to get them to stop asking questions. And look, it works. You're already like, yeah, must. I mean, sure, maybe it is complicated. What relationship isn't, honestly? Right. But this you've already put it out in the universe. I'm just afraid of being yet again an afterthought. You kind of know what's going to happen here. Yeah. This person, if if they want to, if there's a strong energy with you, if there's a connection, then they have to either make a decision to pursue that. I, Whatever the relationship is with this other person, it's like either they're in it with this girlfriend or they're not, but they are telling you that they don't have room to explore anything with you. Yeah. Why, so set yourself up for heartbreak. Get out while you're still thinking clear enough to, you know, have a little foresight about how maybe this could end up. Is that too harsh? No. No. Get on Lex. Yeah. Write a fun little ditty and get back out there. Or there don't. are other energies out there. Yeah. Oh, so many energies. It's the horny. It's about to be the horniest summer of our lives, people. If right. you're feeling iffy about someone, you know you're going to dive into an active dating pool. I know a lot of us live in maybe smaller towns or don't have a lot of the community spaces that they would like to have in their cities. But Lex is there. We've reinvented dating over the last year and a half. People are there and looking for connections, too. And and I can't say this enough, and people can't hear it enough, that if somebody tells you that they're not going to make themselves available to you, run. Run. <laughs> they're, they're telling you that to to kind of give them an excuse, almost, to be a selfish asshole. Right. Right. They're like, oh, because I said it, then now I can kind of use you and play with your emotions because I was upfront about it and you knew what you were getting into. And, and it's not my fault like that. I mean, I've been guilty doing. of it. Maybe maybe that's why I'm like, this ain't good, because I've done this to yeah. ward off, you know, to not have complicated conversations and to just keep on keeping on my destructive path. Like, uh, right. I, I've i been on the other side, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Move on. You'll be better off for it. And uh, protect yeah, your the, heart. The whole my person, there's, there's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And if you have <laughs> a question for us, you can send it to dykingout at gmail.com and we will give it to you straight and dirty. Straight no chaser. You can follow us on social media at Diking Out Everywhere and Diking Out Pod on TikTok, which maybe I'll go on to flirt with Rosie O'Donnell. I don't know. Okay, here's your assignment. Okay. We've probably had about 50 episodes now where we've plugged an inactive TikTok. Let's trade off. I did the last one. Okay. <laughs> the bare minimum. I Googled Aubrey Plaza on a TikTok. Okay. Why don't you make a TikTok for next week? I'm going to make a TikTok in P-Town. How about that? There you go. Great. Great. Cool. (laughs) I'm doing it. Do it. Do it. And then we'll work on a Rosie O'Donnell one. We can devote our whole account to her. And we could do whatever we want with it. Yeah, I'm going to do duets with Rosie O'Donnell until I get a restraining order. Duet her duets. Follow me at TGI Carolyn. By the time you're listening to this, I'm 
still in P-Town, I think, for, for one more day. So I've got things up on my stories. Oh, hell yeah. Living it up. You can follow me at Melody Kamali. And thank you so much for spending your time with us. The pleasure's been mine. I'm going to get ready to pack for Texas. So we'll see y'all next Tuesday. Uh. Hey. <laughs> Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.